<laughs> a slightly different introduction to the uh, the Irish's Read podcast for this week, because what you just heard was the metal guru from County Monaghan, Alan McCahey. Uh, Alan's a man I've known for many years, moved over here many years ago, has done many things over here, has been seen sitting in Irish bars, noodling away, playing a few acoustic tunes. But right now he's most famous for his symphonic metal band called Zornheim. And I decided I was going to catch up with him here in Solentuna. Mr. McCahey, how are you? It's been a minute. It has definitely been a minute though. It's been uh, quite a while and it's great to see you again. Well, when did you move over here, Alan? Just refresh my memory. Uh, January 2012, Jeez. if I remember correctly. Yeah, so it's coming up now to... No, was it 2012? No, it was 2013. Sorry, yeah, it was the, the 2012 to 2013. Winter, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so January coming up now will be my, my anniversary of being here for a decade. Jesus, time flies, doesn't it? It's wild. It's absolutely wild. I suppose well, we get yeah. briefly into the why of you came over here, right? We'll make it very short and as Go painful as possible, you know? Actually, uh, <laughs> that's that's one of the questions that a lot of people ask me and they're surprised by the answer because I'm one of the few people who just said fuck it and came over. I'm allowed to swear, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, if you went, I wouldn't be on this podcast, I can tell you. Yeah, <laughs> just drop it in there and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What but, was it between that appealed to you then? Um, so at the time... Uh, I think it was Ryanair, they'd started doing flights over um, for about 20 euro return. And I was living in Dublin at the time, working out in X Music and doing, you know, roadie stuff, guitar tech stuff. And, yeah. and uh, whenever I saw that the flights were 20 euro, I was like, right, I could spend that on a taxi into the city and home again. <laughs> or I could go somewhere new, try out Sweden, see what the crack is over there and have a good time. And, and uh, in fact, the very first time I went over was because of some mates. So in 2009, I started going to metal festivals mm. in Europe. I've been to some in, in Ireland, but mainland Europe, you know, the continental metal festivals are a completely different deal. That's where the quality bands are and that kind of oh, thing, yeah. Yeah, and it takes a different, it's a completely different ballgame, like the size of them and mm. the, the quality of them and the different environments, just unbelievable. Mm. So, so you said, right, uh, uh, did you meet some of the Swedish people through that? Was that? So I made some friends. I actually made a bit of a international group of metal heads through that because um uh yeah i met, met a lot of friends the first one i went to was in slovenia yeah. made a lot of friends there and i yeah then made more friends as the time went on with other festivals and then eventually some some australian mates of mine who had met at, at some of those festivals they were like have you ever been to um close up Bolton, mm-hmm. which was you know close up metal magazine over yeah, yeah. There. that was that was big for a long time, and uh, they had a metal festival on a boat that went from here in Stockholm over to Finland. I think it was over to Obo. Yeah, something like that. That um, sounds extremely dangerous. Those boats. Oh my god! <laughs> Mostly yeah. for your liver now, in fairness. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that time, I think now they've stopped doing the duty free on the boats, so that has kind of curbed it to some extent. But at the time, yeah, the the duty free was wild and everyone could just fill up their cabins with all sorts of sauce yeah. so uh they got out of hand but they were good fun and that was one of the first times i came over here actually for that because i saw like okay that's on the flights are cheap let's go and do this thing yeah. so hopped on a flight went over spent a weekend here had an unbelievable time and um in those first few times of coming back and forth from ireland to sweden over several weekends after that um, I came to realize a few things. Um, 
and, and one of the things was that the Irish temperament is very complementary to the Swedish temperament mm. in that obviously everyone says like oh the Swedes are cold and they're hard to get to know yeah but Irish people are natural born icebreakers yeah you know we go in with the gift of the gab and we start talking to everyone and we won't take no for an answer either. That's it. And then whenever we get the ball rolling, then everybody starts talking. And that's yeah. the thing. Once you crack the, you know, you break the ice with, with the Swedes over here, then they suddenly warm up to the idea of like, I can actually talk to someone who's willing to listen and have a bit of banter with me. Did you find it the music that you liked? Because metal and hard rock in particular, <clears throat> there's a certain kind of person who likes it, right? And they tend to be obsessive and I mean that in a good way they tend yeah. to fucking love it right mm -hmm. so I was talking to a man over the weekend there where we have our summer house there's a man who absolutely loves Rory Gallagher and we can right, talk yeah. about Rory Gallagher forever did you find out with the, the Swedes that you met in the beginning that this common ground was something you could build on I did I actually found that that was an interesting thing over here where uh, they're very much about being part of their groups you know like metalheads over here in general they'll go whole haul into it mm. I mean I I've never been one to go all out on the leather jacket and the, 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 the patch vest, you know, the yeah. denim vest with all the patches on it. I've never really gone for that kind of thing. But over here, they go all into it. Yeah. Bullet belts, leather trousers, you know, all the boots and everything. Hard to pull that off in Monaghan all the time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're going to get some looks. I mean, I, I had some mates who did do it back there. But at the same time, I was never in, into that. I was always yeah. like, I want to spend my money on equipment. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can, I can either look cool or I can sound cool. Yeah. I'd rather sound cool, you know. <laughs> you look cool enough as you are. Yeah, well, <laughs> over time. <laughs> exactly, that comes with experience, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you found that was the way into the, the Swedish or that aspect of the Swedish culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I found out with a lot of different areas of Swedish culture because, like, people who are into, say, other styles of music as well, mm. they're into that style of music. Yeah, they'll, they'll group into it, and then. I, like, I've never been afraid of diving into areas I'm not familiar with, yeah. which has been great then, because then I've met people who are into like other styles of music, and yeah. I've learned from them then, because, you know, then there'll be a whole group of them who will be head first into it, you yeah. know, they'll be completely and utterly, like, their life will be surrounded by it, so you, you meet some interesting people over here, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Good yeah. and bad. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, it's like over ten years, you're always going to be people from you know who have a different influence or a different. Mm. Uh, they play a different role in your life. But I remember yeah. you being <clears throat> so very, very positive about the whole thing when you moved over and I met you first. And I thought that you know, very few, an awful lot of people move over here, and there's a lot of trepidation. There's a lot of fears. Like I don't speak the language. What the fuck am I going to do? And your thing was always, yeah, look, it's it's sort of stuff out like. Yeah. And it kind of did, right? How did you end up sort of you know? Uh, finding a job, being able to sustain yourself over here? Uh, that's an interesting question, especially at the moment, because I just quit my job. So, <laughs> Come on, if there's anybody out there looking for a guitar player. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where were you working recently? Um, I was working in the hospital for a while. Yeah. So like my my work career over here has been a, a patchwork quilt of interesting... It's a hell of a CV right now, isn't it? My CV is a... a oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've tried a bit of everything, and that's even before I came here. Like, I mean, yeah. geez, I've tried all sorts of things, but uh, but that's the thing. Like, I like to try new things. That's yeah. Again, that goes back to why I moved over here. Yeah. Because I thought I'll buy a one-way ticket. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And then six months later, I'm here, and that's the same with with work. You know, I, I and I find that's that's interesting. Like right now, I'm looking for something a bit more stable because mm. the thing was like the last five or so years, I was working nights in Karolinska at the hospital here. Yeah. Uh, in Solna which was really tough because nights 
I wouldn't recommend anyone's ever taste was toll on you, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, season. I like. I, I quit in in the end of January. Yeah, I've lost seven kilos because just actually being able to sleep properly and eat properly, like yeah. I, I have a routine. Yeah, like not I, feel sorry for yourself because you're up all night or that kind of thing. Well. Like I still try because there was one point whenever I was actually you might know him Aaron Kennedy you know oh I know yeah. well yeah yeah so I was going training with him for a while so I, and and that's you know I wanted to maintain actually being fit but then I just found I was completely burned out yeah. you know I mean there was one day I was in the in, in the gym with him and uh, we always had great crack training He's and, a he, great and, guy. and I loved the fact he pushed me yeah. like there's there's numerous photos of me passed out on a bloody treadmill just half dead. <laughs> And uh, and I I appreciate that you know it's 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 needed but it, it there was one time whenever we booked in a morning and I was coming off work and I went in and I remember like standing up because I think we were doing deadlifts and I just felt my 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 I just went dizzy I was like no I can't yeah. do it and I, because just I was so tired yeah and I think that's a common thing and especially w- working in the hospital where I was doing transport then and it's a big hospital like Caroline sure, I don't know yeah. how much you've walked around in the tunnels underneath it and everything yeah especially since they've moved to the new one yeah it's a gargantuan labyrinth yeah it's huge so you'll be doing you know walking 10 15 kilometers every night forward and back and that kind of thing no? easily yeah like twenty thousand steps was the average you know really and it was tough you know so i mean a job's a job at the end of the day but mm. if it starts infringing on your ability to feel healthy then the irony of it being a hospital was was not lost on me, you know. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you're the only one there, you know. I mean, I look yeah. around sort of schools. I mean, there'll be a lot of teachers listening to this, a lot of people working in healthcare listening to this, and there's a huge amount of pressure put on people working in public services like that. That yeah. more is always expected, and you don't always get the, the reward for it as well. But like I say, you did it for the last few years, so yeah. it's not like you just sort of walked in and went, oh, no, and given up, you know. You did your best at it for a yeah. while. You know? Oh, yeah. No, I was. I, I found I just didn't have anywhere else to go in it as well. Mm. That was the thing. Because I, I, I want to get into different areas something that has a bit more uh maybe a remote kind of thing that i can do so as i was saying to you before this interview that i can go out to the countryside and have my wee garden and maybe work from there yeah nice. well that was the interesting thing about the pandemic as well because um there was all this oh well everybody can work from home you're thinking, you fucking can't like you know if you're doing transport to yeah. the hospital for instance mm-hmm. you have to be there yeah and that kind of thing that you know there's only a certain amount of jobs and a lot of the people we would know you know in the areas of Solentuna where i live in shista yeah taxi drivers bus drivers you're not working from home you're not sitting out in the country there you know yeah have you put in any applications if anybody is listening looking oh, for somebody what would you like to do applications there for uh, either sound design oh, yeah just... we have more to the pussycat here as well yeah. if you happen to hear a third voice in this conversation yeah. to hang out why not but, uh, he um sorry what was it you yeah, were talking so, about sound design yeah, that, so yeah. sound design um i've applied for a few things there i also before, just before the pandemic kicked off i'd literally just finished a course on user experience okay. which i've been told by numerous friends who work in the area that i'd be very good at yeah so after looking into it after you know a few years i was like yeah this sounds like i could probably do that so that's that's what people tend to call UX, right? It's exactly. app design and website yeah. design and that, yeah. Yeah, that, like, you could do that remotely from my house in the country, exactly. couldn't you? And I like the idea of the research element because I like yeah. the social side of it because yeah. I think like I, I, like I'm a very much the, I, I'm very much the kind of person that likes to figure out how things work. Mm. I mean, the first guitar I ever, the first electric guitar I ever got, I took apart. You know, within you know, that's a bit risky. <laughs> it was. It was. I, did, uh, did you put it back together again? Did uh, it? 
<laughs> what, what do I do that? There's always a few bits left yeah, over. <laughs> uh, yeah, it had a little bit of the Ikea effect of like that screw is still here yeah. and it's all together. Wait, what? Let us <laughs> never speak of it again. Yeah, <laughs> sort in the of. back of a drawer. <laughs> yeah, it's probably still there in your mouth. Oh, God, still. yeah. Oh, my God. Well, how did you find the UX thing? Did you find that stimulating? or? Loved it. It was yeah. great. I mean, it's very much my kind of mindset because yeah. I... Like I, I love I love all the kind of like psychology stuff behind it, all the kind of like social element of it and just trying to figure out how to make things work. Yeah. You know, how to how to make things more efficient. Yeah. You know, because that's why like I mean, as you can see in my room here I've got an outrageous amount of gear and I'm always trying to find different things to streamline what I'm doing. Yeah. Isn't that right? More just make it sort of smaller, more effective <laughs> or more portable or whatever. Yeah. Let's talk about the band, right? Because the right. band was the band is called Zornheim, and it's yeah. it's more it's almost more a concept than a band, right? Can you yeah. can you explain a little bit what the idea behind the band is? Because, for instance, the fans are called inmates. Can you explain yeah. that part of things? For you? So the, there's <laughs> so the the band name means uh, home of anger in German, and uh, it's originally the name that our founder, uh, who's now called Zorn, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, as a stage name, not his real name, but. <laughs> He, um, so he played with other bands before, and then after he left those bands and moved on, then he uh, decided he, he he had this idea in his head for a concept album, a band around concepts, uh, because uh, uh, based around an asylum, mm. because there's so many elements to different like mythologies and urban legends that mm. we can all base around that, and there's so many fantastic stories out there already, like TV shows, like mm. American, what was it called again, American Horror Story, and yeah. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, right? exactly. There's so many great things out there that you can use for in inspiration. And um, we kind of, I met him about 2014, I think it was about. Yeah, and he asked me to fix his guitar. And while we were sitting there, uh, I was fitting the pickups in his guitar. And he said, do you want to hear what I'm working on? And I was like, absolutely. Throw it in there. So I put it on and uh, it was... It, very heavy and it had that kind of rudimentary kind of orchestral sounds on it already from you know keyboard kind of sounds so mm. he, he had the he had the idea there like obviously the guitar work and everything there was solid because that's what he does mm. but uh you know having the demo there it really was it you know a, a big selling point because then i heard it and i went that sounds like a couple of other bands that i'm already very interested in mm. so i fit the pickups had a chat with him about that showed him what i could do with all the software I have because I've got a, a small mountain of of uh, orchestral software and sampling mm. software and synthesizers and all sorts of other shenanigans that I can use for making sounds and mm. uh, and he was like oh that's very interesting I like that and about a week later he calls me up and says do you want to join and play guitar and also help me out with the orchestral stuff and so that's where that all kicked off but yeah to get back to the point of the whole story then um basically it's it's about an asylum where the first album is about this asylum and the inmates so it's kind of like a pilot series yeah. you know and it's it's explaining some of the inmates in there to get a taste for how weird it's going to get yeah um and the, 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 based on say like um there's the one of them the, our first single was called the opposed and it's about a a guy uh who's who's got a face on the back of his head that's like a demon kind of growing out the back of his head that he can only subdue by playing his cello. And, but it torments him his whole life. 
and he tries to hide it in all sorts of different ways. But he's based on the urban legend of uh, Edward Mordrake. Yeah. So, yeah, um, pulling different influence for all those things. But there's so much in mythology and and other horror stories out there. that, And we love all that stuff. Mm. So we thought, why the hell not throw it all in together? And it just works well with the symphonic element because it makes it so cinematic. Mm. You know, it gives it that kind of film score vibe. Which is another element that we want to add into it because we want to. We've already done a couple of music videos that are based on it because we don't want to do that mm. music video style of you know a couple of lads in a room playing guitars and the cameras are just panning around mm. and the lights are flashing. Bit, bit of a waterfall here, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just that kind of thing. It's it 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 uh, it feels you know like that's that's cool for them, mm. but it feels like with this we can do so much more. Yeah, and like we have a graphic novel as well. We're working on the second one at the moment. And uh, we try and approach it with the mentality of, say, like Tool or Radiohead, where yeah. they've done it with concept albums. Like there with, with um, OK Computer and what was the other one? In Rainbows. Mm. Because they were 10 years apart. And it's the whole thing of like, OK Computer is all about binary, so ones and zeros. And uh, and OK starts with an O. And In Rainbows, the In starts with an I. So that's mm. like one and zero. So all these little things that all kind of tie together. And if you play the two albums, like the first track of OK Computer and then follow it with the first track of In Rainbows, they actually overlap on each other. Mm. And it does that for the whole album. Yeah. So you have all these little elements. And I thought, a tool has a similar thing with, with uh, I think on Lateralis, they have like a, a, a rearrangement of the album mm. that the fans have called The Holy Gift, I think. I think okay. so. But yeah, basically it, just, it gives a whole other element that someone can just delve into. Yeah. And I think that's all based on the idea of like nowadays everything's on Spotify, everything's on iTunes, everything's mm. digital. There's no, there's not the simple joy of. I'm sure you had this whenever you were growing up, um, opening a vinyl or a CD or a tape and just taking out the inlay and reading through it and finding mm. and reading through the lyrics and finding out what's going on. You know, just the, co the cover art was a huge thing. Like you know, like yeah. my, it was my fiftieth birthday last year. And I knew I was going to get it, and I did get it, and it was the Clash London Calling on right. vinyl. Yeah. Because the first time you hold that in your hands, it's a quasi-religious thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I can still tell you where I was the first time I heard the, the Joshua Tree by, by you 2 And right. that was like that was just the demos that were a guy who had worked with people in London who knew the band had managed to rob a tape and brought it back and played it in the pub behind yeah. closed doors. And that used to happen with their albums all the time. Fucking hope on it was listening to this thing going yeah. here. But, but like I say, but it's, there was a sort of a tactile thing there where holding it in your hands is an awful lot different to your daily mix on Spotify. You know, and not to, you know, don't be like, you know, the two fucking Elvis and the Muppets here going, oh, everything was better before. Mm -hmm. But there is something you're saying there. And the fact that you're making something that's more than just music, it's a show, it's art, it's a yeah. graphic novel, it's, it's movie clips, it's videos, it's, you know, it, there's so much more to it than just okay. Here's a three minute pop song. It's a great place yeah. for a three minute pop songs too. Yeah. Um. How do you find an audience? For I mean, I know this. You know, the metal heads that you know, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of music on Spotify out there. This podcast is out there. How yeah. do you find your audience there? Now? Um. I think the best way in general is just getting out and touring. I mean, quite literally, the the most amount of response that we've ever got has always been through touring. But also, like we're we're always doing interviews, whether that be written interviews or mm. or other like spoken interviews as well, recorded and whatnot. Clowns like me sending messages on Facebook, or hey, I, don't know, I haven't seen it in ages. What are you doing? 
Well, it's welcomed. It's definitely welcome. Delighted to see you. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's, it, it's, it's, it's always welcome to actually have a direct connection as yeah. well. Because I think that's that's the thing. Like, it's you put on Spotify, and I'm sure there's people out there who just listen to a playlist, and they might hear a song and go, oh, mm. I like that. And they'll press the little heart icon to go, I like it. And it yeah. just goes into the into the big pile of other songs that they don't remember a name of or remember the band of, but it's yeah. on a playlist. And that's that's part of the nature of it. That if you can't remember, you know, mm. who wrote that song and who it's by, and or, or who or, or what's the name of it and mm. what the lyrics are, then I you know the, the inter- there's an interesting parallel there with sport, Alan. Because one of the things that's happened, I went back to reading books about baseball and boxing because the, the, yeah. some of the best writing in sports has ever been done is about baseball and boxing. And the two things that they have in common is that the people who write about them make you care. Right. Yeah. So by talking to you about your music and the concept behind you, that kind of thing, I'm hoping that somebody will listen to this, you know, Brendan Grennan or whoever hasn't yeah. heard the album yet, yeah. and that they'll start to care, right? Because yeah. they know you, they know the effort that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it's enough. That, uh, uh, very occasionally a single comes along and everybody listens to it and they just go, you know, Mr. Brightside by The Killers, yeah. uh, Tub Thumping by Trumbo Wabba. Everybody yeah. just listens to it. That's fucking excellent. And yeah. then they know they don't need to know the backstory. But other things I think you do, I think you need mm. to know, you know, about Zorn. I think you need to know about that yeah. background, you know. When you want to go on tour, and that's part of the reason that I want to talk to you is because you've just been on tour and you're going back out again soon, yeah. right? Um, how hard is it now? Because touring, I've been told, is where the money is. It's where, like you say, it's the exposure <laughs> is. How do you find gigs doing what you're doing? Is well, it just call up the Bataclan in Paris? <laughs> we, have, uh, we have a booking manager. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, we, we take it seriously. Hey, you know? it was last hour. Well, that's it. Well, you know, we we have got a booking manager. She actually approached us in the first place because really? she liked what what we do, and, and she's she's a star. Like she's an absolute hero. Yeah. French a French lady, uh, Brie as we call her, but her name's Brigitte. But you know, we call her Brie. Needless to say, yeah. Uh, and, and 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 also, I love the fact that she's named her uh, her her booking our promotional company, yeah, Hellfrog Promotions. You know, so <laughs> that's like, fantastic. Brilliant. But she's she's always like on the lookout for, for new bands and she just puts faith in them and just throws it out there because yeah. she knows people out there for booking and she puts the work in and I mean it would be so much harder for us to do this if it wasn't for her. Yeah. And I, I, I know there from other younger bands and other people that I've met on the road that booking a whole tour is not an easy thing to do. And no. especially then whenever I don't know if you saw the picture that I put up of the map of the last tour. And even then, that's with a booking agent trying mm. to go off and make sure that everything lines up and that it's going to be cost efficient and fuel efficient and all that kind mm. of thing. Um, it's it's still a lot of traveling. Like we did nine days in a row, and we went from Luxembourg. No, we didn't start in Luxembourg. We started in Brussels, uh, but we did a whole big tour all the way down through down down to the Alps over to. Nantes, the other side of France. So I mean, we were nearly touching Switzerland, then going all the way opposite to the side of the country, and yeah. you know, and then all the way back up to Luxembourg to get our flight from Brussels again and return the, the rental car. You know, <laughs> shit. But that's that's a lot of traveling. But that's the kind of logistics that need to be taken into account. Yeah. And if you're going to be doing it, you, you you do need to do it, and that means that some gigs in the middle of the week, you know, you're trying to find filler gigs. You're trying to find gigs that are just some small place. But you know what? Sometimes they can be the most thankful gigs. Yeah. Because you'll get some little place in the countryside that has exceptional equipment and a promoter or an owner who is just delighted to have somebody come in and play. Mm. And then fans in the area who are just like, 
finally. Yeah. Somebody who's going to come on, come in and play and put on a performance. Yeah. And that's the one bit of feedback that I will always be incredibly grateful to hear is whenever somebody comes up to us after and says, that was a whole performance you guys gave the whole Everything. package to yeah. you. We do, like our, our singer runs around like a madman. Yeah. He's, he's very much inspired by the kind of stylistic elements of um like um Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. You know, like he he he'll he'll run all around the stage and he's he's he's, he's built guy. Like I don't know yeah. if you've seen the pictures of him, but oh, he's, he's a he's a brick shit house like yeah. and he's not afraid to run around the stage and throw some shapes and and, and get very theatrical about it. And yeah. I love that and, and and everyone else in the band there as well, like Zorn as well, he'll be over there headbanging and throwing his guitar around the place and mm. our drummer's standing up on his drum kit. We don't have a bass player. That's the thing. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. From the Bass Players Union, I'll have to there register an objection here. Blasphemy. <laughs> what happened there? Is it, so that's a, that's a sequence or something, is it? That's sequence, yeah. Because we have all the orchestral stuff there. We've got like all the choir stuff, orchestral stuff, synthesized sounds and whatever. Yeah. Um, since we had the members that we had already, we didn't feel that there was any necessity to get a bass player in just for the sake of playing bass. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's another ask to, to for a seat, you know, mm. and that means that traveling is even harder again. It's another it? bed. It's another three meals a day as well. You exactly. Know? Yeah. yeah. So that's that, yeah. Accommodation, transport, all those costs are incurred. And we do want to get a bass player eventually, but we want to make sure that it's somebody who can come in and bring an extra element because all of us do. Yeah. None of us are just there going off and saying like, well, I just do this one thing. Yeah. You know, because then you know like I, I play guitar but i also do i also do all the arranging and conducting notation and and all the, the classical kind of stuff yeah um and technical stuff as well because then again like, like there i had to fix up the guitar after the last tour for mm. for, for zorn because uh the switch decided to to uh to die on stage which is it, it, it happens I, yeah. everyone has it like i mean when you're dealing with with live music and you're dealing with equipment that takes a bashing mm. on, a, on a regular then eventually something's gonna go yeah. so that's the thing everyone's doing something you know we're all adding an extra element and that's if we're gonna get a bass player then we're gonna get somebody who can do mm -hmm. contributes it also yeah. has to work on a personal level because there's nothing like you know and by jeez i've done a few tours myself and like if you're with the wrong people it's just a disaster like you know mm -hmm. i mean i found it but there was one the last time i ever toured in scandinavia was just fucking horrible because oh, it just God. it just didn't work on a personal level and I literally quit after that. Went fucking never taking this risk again, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, did you guys? Did, you literally had a rental car driving around from gig to gig, did you? Yeah, well, a minibus kind of thing, you know, yeah. a little minivan kind of thing. So yeah, we had it and we drive around because I mean, there's no really any better way. And secondly, I mean, it's it's more practical that way. Yeah. Because I mean, you could get the nightliner, but then you're getting a little ridiculous pulling up to a wee a tiny venue. And a midweek thing. And the bus outside you know. is bigger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, because that's the thing. Like we're we're in that area now where we can play a festival and we'll have the guts of several thousand people there watching us. Yeah. I mean, you can see in the first uh, one of the first videos that I put up um a while ago that like we had a massive crowd at it. But then, as I said earlier on, you go into certain venues and it's like it's a Tuesday. Yeah. 
and so 150 people if you're lucky kind of thing you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. a big joke here now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's well that's the hard yeah. thing it's like you know about organising any tour is that there's only fucking two days in the weekend you mm-hmm. know Friday, Saturday yeah definitely yeah. Thursday maybe Sunday yeah, probably not yeah exactly so, and then you, like again it's that thing of you know you still have to sleep somewhere on a Monday you know yeah and you can't really pick and choose we're not all like there's a friend of mine she works for Def Leppard you know yeah and I just keep looking and I go look at you you know sitting in business class on the way to a residency oh in Las Vegas it's got far from that you were oh, aired you know yeah. <laughs> well now hopefully that's all ahead of you you know I would certainly hope so <laughs> but you're sort of back there one of the things I found really interesting Alan was that you talked about coming home and it's one of those things that very few people talk about but it's there for us all right that crash the post tour come down right you're doing your yeah. laundry you're repairing your bits and pieces you're back mm-hmm. in your studio room here your, your bedroom in Solentuna how do you handle that because it must be fucking miserable after thousands of people you know in front of the stage or a hundred yeah. people in wherever in France yeah. you know yeah. how was that for you um I handle it fairly well because I recognize it. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, and especially it can touch on a lot of different subjects there that are a little bit more on the morbid side for some, because, you know, like, I I think Tommy Tiernan talked about it once upon a time, about how how comedians and musicians have this kind of, in their nature, to nearly be depressive, mm. you know? And I, 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 I'm generally quite jolly by nature, but, you know, I'm also a massive extrovert yeah so whenever i go on tour for a whole time whenever i come home whew, it comes down quite hard yeah and you just kind of have to make sure that you're on top of things but this this is uh, this is why i recognize it in so many other musicians as well that if, if, if you're not conscious of it it can take a hold of you mm. you know it can really take a hold of you and it can just make you really it, it make you miserable like mm. so that's why i understand why you hear all, all sorts of different musicians or whatever who who have had a really tough time with with Tom Mac or, you know, God forbid, they go up and commit suicide later in mm. their career because they've had a whole lifetime of adrenaline rush and then waiting for several hours. Oh, they they hit the gargle or they're on drugs or whatever just yeah. because you get that buzz. I always found coming back from like the Olympics or World Cup or that because you work for a month solid, yeah. it's the greatest thing in the world. You're just surrounded by brilliant athletes and yeah. you don't have to worry about, you know, you get your dinner here, your breakfast there, that kind of thing. And then you come home. Mm. And the one thing I found that was really difficult was that, you know, when you sit down at the kitchen table, you've left, you've left your gang, you've left your, your group, your band, right? Yeah. Everybody who was with you understands what you just experienced. They were yeah. part of that. But then when you come out of that and there's nobody there, I find that really difficult because you might be still buzzing, like, oh, this happened in France and oh, this happened in Brussels and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Do you find yourself turning back to the band or, you know, or is that just a chapter you have to close after each tour? I think it's, I mean, we'll, we'll, we will go off and retell stories and all that kind of stuff. It is kind of like, you know, in a lesser sense, you know, coming back from battle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, do you remember in Foxhole or whatever, you know? Yeah. But that's, that's the thing. I'm, I'm quite happy to go up. Like, I love stories, so I'm quite happy to come back and tell people what's going on. Obviously, I have to kind of have a little bit of a... Um, consideration for what you're saying because you have to maintain the smoke and mirrors of the whole thing yeah because that's a big part of it and i'm very much a real honest person i don't like like i I love people approach me at gigs and they go like oh it must be must be so great being in the band being on tour and 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 all this and i'm like yeah "Yeah, no it is and 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 when you're washing your undies in the sink kind of thing i don't want to disillusion people to that because i think that's a beautiful thing like it's it's something to aspire to yeah but i also think that it's a tough thing to go off and 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 you know like we, we live in an age now where there's a lot of things online that are all 
saying one thing, but then people suddenly realize the reality of it. Yeah. You know, we're sold this whole idea, like say MTV or whatever, that shows like the glitz and the glam of being mm. this, that and the other. But then suddenly, if you're a young up and coming musician who's really trying their hardest to get into into the scene and you're finding yourself butting heads with the realities of life, mm. that's a hard thing to get around whenever you've been sold this, this you know, false pretense. Yeah. And I, I, that's why I like to try and not sell too much of the smoke and mirror like but i think it's a disservice in the end i yeah. think i think the honesty is much more important well, i think that certainly if, any, if somebody has an ambition to be on the stage that you've just been on then i think you have a duty to them to be honest about it yeah. you know but you know like when it comes to just somebody who's just bought their ticket really enjoyed the show and that and think it's the greatest thing in the world ah, yeah. let them have it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let them have that moment exactly you know? oh yeah no i mean that's the thing like it's it's, it's trying to find that balance yeah of of maintaining the theatrics yeah without and that little bit of distance as well you know yeah, yeah you know that's i think but part of that as well is what it's what people pay for you know mm. because like you don't pay mick jagger to be somebody's fucking granddad you know <laughs> you pay him to be mick fucking jagger you know the word original. yeah exactly <laughs> and, oh, i can't do that tonight me back yeah. is at me you know <laughs> so like that thing of you know you've been up there with a rock band and you've just done your thing and you've done this whole sort of concept piece around the side of it that kind of thing and like i said the last thing people want to do is come into the dressing room and see you washing your underpants in the sink like you oh know? yeah and they don't need to know that you know yeah. like to keep that from them you know yeah you're, you're heading out again reasonably soon the next part of the tour is that back in france again uh, no northern germany we are in uh where did my phone go put it somewhere uh, that's, that's only there behind the microphone is it uh, yeah, there you go yeah because i've got everything on it uh but yeah oh, we, we travel on friday uh, no uh, on the 15th but that's because we're going to take the train down this time lovely very environmentally friendly oh that'll be nice as well yeah. uh, i think i think everybody's been complaining about the airports the last while with how, oh jesus how yeah. oh land that's mad and dublin airport as well is nuts, yeah we got lucky there with the last one because we flew out of the smaller airport in Broma. Oh, very good, yeah. Which was, um, it's a great wee airport. It's, yeah. it's a tiny little place, but it, it, it certainly serves its purpose. Oh, you were flying to Brussels, right? So exactly. Brussels Airlines or somebody. It's like, uh, yeah, so we were able to just um, go in, get straight through security and, and right onto the plane. So yeah. that, was, that was fantastic. Okay, but the 15th of June now, that's not going to happen. Where do you, yeah, yeah. you have the dates there in front I'll of you? Here. So on the 16th, we're at a... Uh, a festival. I don't know if there's any tickets left for this one. Uh, Mai's Open Air. I think it's in Hessen in Germany. Okay. Um. Then we're in Lubenau in Kulturhof. Uh. That's on the seventeenth. Uh. Then another festival, Protzen Open Air. Uh. On the eighteenth, and then that's us back. So we're only doing three on this, yeah. this little leg of the tour. And three festivals. Bang, bang, bang. Well, one of them's not a festival. One of them's a, a place that we played before. This, cool, this yeah. kind of like a culture house there in Lubenau, which is, is really cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think it's like an old uh, train station. So it's quite oh, a wow. big building and it's really nice. It's, 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 we, last time we played there, we had a great time. Yeah. And um, yeah, definitely, definitely going to be a good night. Especially out. when you're bringing that kind of symphonic metal into that kind of scene, it's, it's pretty cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's the end game here, Alan? Because like you guys have made, is it two albums now? Yeah, we've got the first album where darkness, or where hatred dwells and darkness reigns. Yeah, and the second one, there's a breezy nine. title, that, isn't it? I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes forget it myself. <laughs> it took you a while to squeeze that yeah, out. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, and then the second one is the Zornheim Sleep Experiment, which yeah. is based on that uh, urban legend of the Russian sleep experiments where uh, they kept all these soldiers uh, awake for several 
days to weeks mm. and then they all started tripping out and eating each other and, yeah. and seeing gods and all this went kind of mad stuff. and so, died basically yeah yeah they they, well, they 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 didn't die from their wounds at first they all like lived through their wounds because they were all hyped up on stimulants and whatever and started seeing god and hearing voices of the dead and all this kind of stuff so yeah but that, our story is kind of in that vein but it kind of zornheim Actually, this is something I should mention. There's two different spellings to Zornheim. Okay. And Zornheim the band is one thing which d- differentiates itself from the asylum. Okay. So there's an I in the asylum. Right. So H-E-I-M, while the the band has H-E-Y-M because uh, it's kind of to represent the the evil behind the, the, the whatever it is that makes the asylum tick. Okay. You know, so uh, between there being like a psychotic head doctor and all these other kind of weird inmates and strange goings on and paranormal things yeah um but yeah that's what the second album's about where it's that that experiment so yeah. now we're diving into more about the head guy yeah. it's, yeah. it's basically it's moving the story on you've yeah. established yourself in the first album and now in the second album you can start to tell stories mm-hmm. where does this head for because you mentioned bruce dickinson from iron maiden there a little bit earlier on we've talked many times before about rory gallagher about thin lizzy mm-hmm. about these oh, great yeah. rock bands in the past i mean i would see there being a huge market for the kind of thing that you're doing if yeah. you can just get at the fuckers like. yeah i mean <laughs> the thing is like people who have gotten into it they've going haul in whole haul into it yeah they like that's why we've got the whole inmates thing yeah because um you know again to expand the concept and like there's many other bands out there that will have all sorts of different names like the kiss army yeah yeah or slipknot have the maggots yeah or other bands have their own thing you know and and we just thought well why the hell not you know yeah we are an asylum why not have the fans be you know registered in the asylum yeah as they join and then that's why we've got like on the facebook page then we'll have like a whole gallery of you know anybody who wears a t-shirt and takes a picture of it on uh, uh, of themselves wearing it or takes a picture of them with any of the merch and sends it to us then we put them in there so yeah. they're included in it because then it's the communal aspect of it yeah i mean as much as it is a funny thing like as, as much as metal has this idea of being like this you know dark scary mm. kind of thing it's one of the more close-knit communities yeah people in general like i mean if you go to a metal festival and you fall over in the mosh pit there's always some big dude who's ready to pick you up like that. Yeah. Like the minute you fall, before you even hit the dirt, there's a big hand come down going like, up you get. Yeah. And nearly all the girls I know say that any festival they've ever gone to has always felt safe to them because metal festivals are always just like, mm. you know, everyone's looking out for each other. Yeah. I mean, obviously you get the odd bad egg here and there, but in general, it's got that thing. And that seems to be the case with a lot of bands as well, mm. where they, and in our case, with the inmates thing, mm. We want to go off and be able to include everyone in it and make everybody kind of feel like, oh, there's something I can actually mm. take part in here. There's more to delve into. Like as I was saying about the graphic novel, gives them something to delve into. Yeah. The booklet of the the album actually has like the doctor's notes and everything, which mm. like I actually a friend of mine who's uh, one of the head neuro consultants here in Stockholm. He, uh, I sat down with him and was like, where can I get a lot of this info from? And he went like, check this all out. So it's all kind of period specific because the, cool. the asylum is based around like the late 1800s to early 1900s. Yeah. But in this kind of like non-time specific, if you've ever seen the film, It Follows. Have you ever seen that? I haven't, but it'll be the first thing I watch when I leave here. Uh, watch that. <laughs> but there's, there's, it, it's weird because it's got this feeling of where you're watching it and it's kind of got the 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 vintage kind of filter on it of mm. you know that there's that kind of like a 
the slight seppy tone on like yeah, 70s yeah. movies. Yeah. You know, but then next thing they pull out like a, 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 a touchscreen flip phone kind of thing yeah, yeah. in the movie. like, And they're just like a group of kids sitting there watching TV and they're all like wearing very 70s style clothes, but then they're doing that. So it gives it kind of like a, a broadened time space. Yeah, yeah. Them, you know, but we kept with that because then it gives this kind of sense of timelessness yeah. in the things. Like once you get in there, you don't know what period you're in. You could be in the 70s like as you would have expected in that movie mm -hmm. because of the sepia tone kind of filter yeah but then suddenly you're throwing this curveball of like that doesn't really the fit touch screen there. here yeah yeah, yeah. So like we wouldn't go that far with technology but like i did try and keep it with within the um like the, what's medically possible at the time yeah or yeah. at least could have potentially come from there yeah. in some so you don't want to get into the sort of the science fiction thing you just want to stay in the sort of the, the horror symphonic yeah kind of thing yeah, yeah. i want to keep in that but also want to kind of you know if it was maybe futuristic for that time yeah like say if they were using a drug at the time like i actually went in sort of research and were they doing syringes at the time or were they like what were they using for yeah in certain like, like administering drugs or was that drug used at the time? Like, yeah. was it was it actually like, were, was there anesthesia or was it laudanum or what were they given to? Starting to see the upside of working five years in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. But that's that's the beauty of it. Like, you know, I like I I want people to be able to just delve in and find all these things and then mm. you know post online. Did you know that this is on there? And somebody's yeah. like, oh, cool. You know, but it is like I mean, an awful lot of these things. Again, we mentioned some storytelling. It's a storytelling head you're on. You're creating a world and you're creating characters that people mm. care about. Have you had any sort of offers for to go to America with this kind of thing? Because again, I can just imagine there's so many subcultures in America. Yeah, there has to be a huge audience for this kind of thing. Um. We've had offers, but the thing is, is trying to create a an American tour yeah. is such a massive undertaking. Big, big place. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, and the thing is as well, like I mean, um, our singer has kids, and our and, and Zorn has kind of kids yeah. as well. So and he, he just had a kid there a few weeks ago, a yeah. months ago at this stage. Time flies. Zorn will do that to you. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, with, with with people having responsibilities like that, and we we'd love to go on a longer tour. But, and also for the fact that, like, it, we may have already been able to go on an American tour if it hadn't been for the past the pandemic, years. yeah. Yeah, not to get into that kettle of fish, but, you know. Another uh, lunatic asylum, right? Yeah, okay, no? uh, exactly. But, but uh, is, is that, the, like, would the plan be ultimately looking to make music, create this world, make films, and, and live on that? Or are you kind of content to have two parallel lives where you might have to work for a living when you're at home, but you, yeah. you'd prefer to, like, you'd like to keep going on tour as much as possible? I do like the separation. I like that. I kind of like that's why I was looking into the area of UX because, I, yeah. and and also like I mean, if I was doing something that was more like technical, with like as I was saying about sound design as well, yeah, yeah, those areas there would be interesting because then it would be something I could sink my teeth into whenever I'm here at home, and then when I go on tour, feel like I can blow off steam. And obviously, it's a second kind of job in a way because you're you are going to entertain, you are yeah. going to perform for all intents and purposes a service yeah. to people you're there to make them happy and have a good time and have them go home with the with the, the myth of what they have experienced that night mm. and but at the same time it's an enjoyable one you know yeah. so i'd much rather know that like if, if that was my entire job i don't know i think uh I like having, the, yeah, as I said, like, I think I like having the separation there. Yeah. It, gives, it gives you something to kind of step away from it then. Well, I think know? there is. I think it's important because, like, I mean, the Beatles did that, whatever, you know, 14 shows a week in Hamburg, you know, mm -hmm. three sets a night or whatever. 
and then, like that, that'll eventually burn you out. And I think with something like that's very intense emotionally and artistically that you're doing, you would sort of be burned out after a while. Even though it doesn't yeah. matter how much you enjoy it, like you know, you yeah. know yourself and you get tired coming off the road. One okay. final question, my friend. Anyway. Nearly ten years on from that twenty euro ticket, are you happy in Sweden? Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't even hesitate that one. I'm, I am. I'm happy here. I mean, it's it's had its ups and downs, and definitely had the dynamics of life hit me hard. But uh, I, I, yeah, I've had great times here. I've got great friends here. I mean, honestly, like I've got some friends here who would go miles out of their way to help me out, and they have done in the past, and that's that's something I'm very thankful for. You know, yeah. I mean. I've got plenty of friends, like even they're back in Ireland, friends who've lived in Ireland their whole life and they don't have the community that I have around me here as a newbie, yeah. well, 10 years later, <laughs> you know, but as, 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 as a fresh face outsider rolling into the country and building it, because that was part of the reason as well, because I, why I moved over, because I didn't want to, uh, I felt like I was lucky at the time. Whenever I was working in a job I liked, I was, you know, doing, working with music, working with guitar, yeah. going on tour, and, and, you know, as a roadie and stuff like that, and having a great time. But I was like, having seen that life could be interesting over in Sweden, I was like, is that, that could be an interesting challenge to see if I start from scratch in a new country, is, can I prove that I'm not just a lucky son of a bitch, yeah. that I actually have competence? You know, and I, I think it's, that's, you know, that would be it, you know, as, as much as I know everyone kind of says like, oh, you came over here for a woman or whatever. And it's like, no, that's the standard answer. And that's a good answer to be fair, because, you know, there are the women over here. <laughs> there's some grand girls out there in the yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's, there's, I think it's, it's a good, I think, every, I think everybody needs to challenge at some point in their life to go off and throw themselves in the deep end and, and try out that that new way of life you know i think on some level that's that's the first time i've heard an answer like that to that question because on some level i think women etc friendships jobs whatever i think it is that opportunity to, to redefine ourselves to prove to ourselves that we are who we think we are and that yeah. we can do the things maybe we can't do them at home but we can certainly do them over here because we don't have the burden of the baggage when we come over here you know yeah. if in 10 years time i send you another message on facebook where do you expect to be by then hope that facebook still exists by then i fucking hope yeah. not <laughs> if you send it directly into my brain <laughs> exactly. Elon Musk's neural in the in the asylum yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah i would be delighted to i mean that's it look we've kept in touch already for the past 10 years so i mean why the hell not we yeah. keep this boat we keep this keep this boat floating you know would you reckon you'll be in sweden at that point still you have no desire to go anywhere else at this stage uh, who knows where life may take me? I mean, I, I'm happy here. I'd love to move uh, move out to the countryside because it's a beautiful countryside here. Um, I, in fact, one of my favorite things to look up uh, on, on social media at the minute is uh, there's an Instagram page called uh, Cheap Nordic Houses. And oh my <laughs> God, or Cheap Swedish Houses. There's a couple of different versions of it. There's one for Ireland as well, actually. Baby. And uh, it just finds like the weird things out there in the depths of the real estate market. And yeah. And uh you'll find some bizarre little kind of little houses out in the forest or by a lake and they're beautiful and yeah. maybe they need a bit of work but god they would be just the kind of thing that somebody if they put the work in then everyone else would be jealous of them and going like look at this lucky son of a bitch with yeah. a lovely house and it's like little did you know the potential that was in that 
you know. Yeah, as somebody currently in the middle of doing up one of those houses, can, can yeah. fucking strongly advise yeah. <laughs> against it. You know? But the only thing I will say is, I wish I'd done it years ago, is get a nail gun. That would save you a lot of trouble. <laughs> Alan, it's been an absolutely an absolute pleasure talking to you. Where can people find the Zornheim albums? Is it a case of just going to Spotify and? Uh, I think the easiest one. Yes, we've got on. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on everything really. But yeah. if you want to look up uh, where most of our links are, then. Uh, Bandcamp is where you'll find everything, like Zornheim, that's Z-O-R-N-H-E-Y-M dot Bandcamp dot com. It seems to be the central hub for mm. where all our merch and graphic novels and albums and vinyls. In fact, we just printed some really sexy looking vinyls. They've got this cool splatter effect on them. Tremendous. And, and they're like, it looks like the iris, or no, it looks like the, the like an eye, you know, the, the kind of, the, the coloration of an eye. Yeah. Oh, they, they turned out very well, so... Yeah, but that's where we'd be. I mean, just type in Zornheim into anywhere, and you'll you'll find us because we've made sure we've got a, a large social media yeah. footprint. Well, I'll stick uh, I'll stick a link in the the show notes for this. So if you're listening on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening in, you'll find a link to the lads on Bandcamp and everything. Alan, for now, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Phil. Cheers. There you go, our very own Alan McCahy there. A bit of a, an odd way to start the podcast, and uh, it's music that maybe mightn't be to everybody's taste as you're getting out on the highways and byways, but uh, that song there was by Zornheim. It has nearly half a million listens on Spotify, which is fantastic, you know, for sort of a niche band like Zornheim. The song is called The Opposed, and it's that sort of symphonic metal, and I know there's a lot of people out there like that kind of thing. Great music for the gym, right? If you want to go pump an iron or whatever, that's the kind of tunes you want in the background there. But um, yeah, so a different way to start the podcast, and uh, that turned out to be a lot longer. <laughs> it also turned out to be one of those weird things. You had uh, that was done in Alan's bedroom in Solentuno, where he has all his guitars and his amps and that kind of thing. So you have two, like you know, real. I wouldn't say I. I wouldn't be as nerdy as Alan, right? The man has a master's in music technology, right? Loves the good sound. And then I got home. Actually, after we were sitting there, one of the microphones was there was a wire that was a little bit loose in it, you know. And I was going, "Okay, can you help me fix that?" So Alan helped me fix that. And then I got home and I listened to the recording, and it was just like noise. And it wasn't me moaning as it sometimes is on this podcast. It was just this like electrical uh, noise. So I ended up having to. Um, correct all that and uh, so that's why it sounded a little bit different a little bit compressed uh, some of the frequencies were a little bit weird and i know alan was probably just go what's you have to do with that bleeding thing i had no choice out sorry about that so uh, yeah to have two such big sort of sound or tech nerds sitting around the place and uh, something like that to happen but of course you couldn't hear it as the recording was being done so we didn't know i really hope you enjoyed that alan's a great guy extremely talented bloke extremely intelligent fella and always fascinating to sit down and talk to him and to get that that view of what it's like to be a touring musician in the 20 21st century and somebody who's been here for nearly 10 years as well the other day i think it was the day before i sat down to speak to alan i celebrated celebrated in inverted commas i didn't do fuck all actually it was, i think it might have even been the same day uh, 23 years in sweden boys and girls right so if you've just arrived over here you go ah yeah you know like alan on his one-way ticket or like me 23 years ago ah yeah i'll give it a year or two Watch out, comes creeping up on you, right? You get a slap on the back of the head and all of a sudden somebody's giving you a cake with a strawberry on it and it's 23 years later. I wouldn't mind to get any fucking cake whatsoever for my uh, long and loyal service to this country. Yeah, but 23 years. And in one way it's kind of flown by 
and in another way, it's it seems like a lifetime ago. You know, it's a, like this country is an awful lot different uh, to begin with. Our community is a lot different, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. So. I don't know, 23 more years, I don't know even if they take me back in Ireland at this stage. I don't drink, so they probably won't even renew my passport to the embassy the next time I go there, you know. Listen, we have to squeeze this in, and it is a listener-supported pa- uh, podcast. Patreon.com forward slash Man in Stockholm. You can switch the show on one two three two four two four one six six. One of these days, we get Revolut, because that might make it easier for everybody. I'll have to talk to Michelle Cotter about that, because I tried to do it, and it's one of those things where they wanted, you know, they basically wanted a note from your ma to say that you are who you say you are and you know notarized by this person and that person it just wasn't worth the bleeding effort so if they ever make it a little bit easier to get revolute for a business over here i'll do that as well but for the moment swish one two three two four two four one six six patreon.com arrowland and stockholm and for advertising and sponsorship, Irish and Sweden podcast at gmail.com. I'd like to say a huge thank you to the wonderful people at the Swedish Irish Chamber of Commerce, uh, to Declan and to all the gang there. I know Owen O'Connor has been very involved there. Carl Lambert is involved there. Kim is involved there as well. Uh, they have very generously commissioned a little bit of work for me, which will sort of overlap between the podcast and what the chamber does. So um, I'm really delighted with that. We may not see the result of that before the summer, but certainly just after the summer, you'll start to see stuff come out about that because. The chamber has become one of those real sort of driving forces in the community, right? There's regular events there. If you check the Swedish-Irish calendar, Sophie Murphy will hook you up with a link to that. Uh, You'll see that they have events going on all the time. And it really is a great place, especially if you're a young person here and... you've just arrived you're just starting your career it's a great place to build a network and to build connections and you know if you're working for one of the state agencies or if you're working for a company that's trying to establish itself over here uh, it's a really good place to get going there but there will be more of that towards the summer and indeed after the summer and of course our good friends at Veerstrom's pub in Gamla Stan. this is a great time of year for sitting outdoors uh, on the few benches that Martin has outside there and it's also a good time of year for sitting indoors because look at folks the Irish people we're not exactly built for the sun now are we right and the best form of sun protection that I've ever found is the roof of a pub, right? You won't get sunburned. I've never been sunburned in my life sitting indoors watching a bit of hurling or a bit of Gaelic football or the women's Euros that's coming up or, you know, whatever sporting event happens to be on, you'll find it there. Talk to Martin, talk to his lovely staff behind the bar. They'll put it on for you, right? Uh, sit down there, get out of the sunshine for a little while. And my, maybe you might go home just that lovely shade of pink that we can attain as Irish people rather than the roaring red farmer's that we might get listen there's going to be another long podcast but you don't mind that you're out and about you're doing a bit of work you might be at the gym you might be doing up your summer house Kevin Carroll might be stuck in traffic on the E4 I hear that happens a lot these days John Carroll is on his way to play paddle out in in Ballstar wherever he is these days so you have the time lads let's face it actually if you don't you can always get back to it tomorrow but um, we're going to talk to somebody now who will be well known to many of the the older residents the people who've been here for sort of five years or more Um, way back back when I remember getting the email to say that uh, we were going to get a new secretary at the embassy here in Stockholm and it was none other than a man named Ragnar Almqvist and uh, those of you who know a little bit of language will realise that's a very Swedish name altogether but Ragnar is Dublin born and bred and he's also a bit of a, I wouldn't call him a joy scholar, but he would, he got very involved in the whole idea of celebrating Bloomsday in the Irish community abroad. We was over here. And together with the likes of Spuds and Sill and Niall Balfour, they started to put together events that really marked the day. Bloomsday, of course, being the celebration of James Joyce's book, Ulysses, which is now celebrated around the world. Uh, Ragnar was here, but as with everybody, you know, it's a transient population on occasion, especially when it comes to the diplomatic core and to people in business here, that some people spend two or three or four years 
years here and then they move on. So Ragnar and his wife Alva, Alva moved on to, I think it was America that they went to after that. But the time that he was here, he was a fantastic member of the community. He was a fantastic person to have in the embassy. Uh, he was also a fantastic goalkeeper for the Stockholm Gales and even played in midfield on occasions. He had a couple of wonderful games there at midfield. He would say himself that he was built to play in goal, but he was a tremendous catcher and fielder of the ball there around the centre of uh, midfield. So just wanted to catch up with him about all those things, about family life, about what he's been doing, both what he did here in Sweden and what he was doing uh, since he left us and that. And, you know, if there's any chance we might get him back, might be ambassador material a little bit later on if you're listening there, lads. Yeah. Anyway, here is a little chat with Ragnar Alkvist to see how he's doing all these years after his departure from Sweden. Ragnar, we should probably start with your name because uh, in terms of secretaries that we've had at the embassy here, your background was quite unique, wasn't it? Yeah, sure, Phil. Um, well, not, not too many Ragnar Almquists uh, growing up in Dublin, I guess, uh, when, when I was born in the 1980s. But um, my father, who uh, was a Swede, uh, he came to Ireland from um, from Vermland and uh, had been teaching out at the University of Uppsala. Um, he learned he learned Irish there from a from a carryman. People always said about him he was from a generation of Swedes that uh, spoke English uh, with a thick Swedish accent, having having learned from fellow Swedes as opposed to a more recent um, kind of a, a Americanized English, if you like. But uh, while he spoke English with a Swedish accent, he, he spoke Irish like a carryman himself. Um, uh, and uh, he he became fascinated. He was a folklorist and an anthropologist. Um, uh, with uh, Ireland's sort of folk and storytelling traditions um, and came to collect folk tales uh, in the west of Ireland, the southwest in particular, down in Kerry. Um, there was a tradition really of, of, uh, of Swedish folklorists doing that. Um, and um, he got a job as professor of Irish folklore out in University College Dublin uh, and met my mother there, a folklorist and a writer uh, herself, um, and that's how uh, I came to be, uh, so to speak. Um, but uh, while I grew up in Dublin, um, because my dad, as all Swedes are, was so deeply proud of his Swedish heritage and, and Swedish culture, you know, we were always part of the Swedish community in Ireland uh, and would have uh, traveled back to, to Sweden just about every summer to, to visit his brothers and sisters and all my cousins scattered through the country. Um, uh, and so it was uh, a pretty special privilege uh, and, a, and a real joy for me that my first posting as an Irish diplomat was uh, was to Stockholm of all places. Uh, and it was a very special experience, I think, for my father as well um, uh, to, to, to visit me there. Was that something you asked for? Did you sort of see, did this pop up on a sort of an internal Department of Foreign Affairs message board and you went, ah, I'll be having that, lads? Yeah, more, more or less. So what happens at the Department of Foreign Affairs, I know you've, you've interviewed Ambassador Gormley and others on this podcast, is that um, for any given grade, uh, they'll have maybe 20 or, or 30 locations around the world where they're seeking applicants for. And so um, depending on uh, the list, you put forward your, your preferences in order of choice and, and you advocate as to why you feel you'd be a particularly good candidate for, for a given role. Um, and then your your name is sort of in the hat, so to speak. We have to send somebody everywhere, so not everyone gets the chance to go to their top location. But for me, Stockholm, uh, for my wife, Elva, 
very much top of the list. Uh, and uh, yeah, I suppose I was able to, to to make a decent argument that I had a, a grasp of, of Sweden and, and a Swedish uh, and so was uh, was well placed for it, and yeah, we were we were so delighted when we got the posting. Um, in terms of the practicalities of it, because it's one thing to come here and to spend your summers traveling the E4 and driving down to Varmland and celebrating midsummer and that, but to find a place to live here, to work here, you know, especially with at that time, sort of you know, post the crash in two thousand and eight, there was still Ireland was still a country in recovery, not least reputationally. You know, mm-hmm. um, how did you find that aspect of it? I mean, did it live up to the expectations that you would have had coming over here? Oh, absolutely. Um... I mean, uh, we we spent most of our holidays uh, in Vermland or or Yutteboy, so uh, you know, not so much in Stockholm itself. Uh, so I didn't know the city intimately, but um, we uh, we managed to find an apartment renting from a, a Swedish diplomat who was posted to uh, to Bonn, or Berlin rather, uh, in Hammarbyhusstad. Uh, and the fact that, as you said, we arrived in 2010 and we're in Sweden until 2013, so those were very much the the years of sort of crisis and recovery, if you like. But um, was something that gave us a point of connection and something to, to talk to. I mean, this is always a, a focus for, for diplomats. Uh, and the fact that Sweden had experienced its own financial crisis in the early 1990s, uh, a banking crisis then, not dissimilar in, in many respects from, from the particular crisis uh, Ireland was experiencing that time, gave us a sort of point of, of connection. And actually, through the years I spent in, in Stockholm, something we, we focused a good deal on was on drawing on Sweden's experience and learnings from the 1990s and trying to inculcate them in Ireland. So I remember spending a, a good deal of time meeting Stefan Ingves, who was the governor of the Central Bank of the Riksbank at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, we also helped arrange for a very brilliant Swedish economist uh, called Lars Frisell, uh, who was uh, at that time head of the Swedish Financial Supervisory Authority to um to travel to Ireland and ultimately he took a job working in our central bank as an advisor there and so quite a lot of what Patrick Honan then governor of the the Irish central bank did in responding to the crisis uh, and, and indeed much of what our department of finance and others did um was based in part on, on learnings from Sweden so actually if you like we, we took the opportunity of the crisis to make connections between our countries that bit stronger. And hmm. um, what did the Swedes, what was their perception of Ireland when you were there, right? Because, you know, if you go back to, I was just mentioned before this interview, I've been 23 years in Sweden the other day. And, you know, the way Irish people were perceived, it was like, you know, cheap mince meat, good beer, good crack. That's about it. You know, but on a diplomatic level, hopefully you're operating above the mince meat level. You know, what, how did you find the treatment that you got off the Swedes? What did they think of you? What did they expect from Irish people and the Irish government and the work that you were doing? Well, so the first question I was usually asked was what, what was with the name uh, and, and where it came from. <laughs> You'll case. never but get away from that, will you? <laughs> no, and it was it was always a good always a good point to start. But you know, something I spoke to in that context was the fact that yeah, I was unusual, relatively speaking, in growing up as an Irish speaker as well, uh, from an immigrant background, if you like, in Dublin at the time. But as you know, Phil, and as I think Swedes have experienced more recently, Ireland has become so multicultural. Yeah, uh, and really, you know, even through the years of the crash and certainly past them, uh, that has been sort of uh, uh, reinvigorated and we've become very much a, a multi-ethnic society, really similar to what Sweden had undergone, I think, 30 or 40 years earlier. So, you know, our business as diplomats is always about uh, fostering connection and, and pointing to shared experience and connectivity. Um, and the fact that Ireland... Uh, as a country which was probably secularizing at some level, well, certainly was, 
uh, and was also undergoing this kind of profound change in, in having our first history of immigration as opposed to emigration uh, was something we were able to, to sort of speak and, and highlight to Swedes. Uh, and I always felt that there was so much more that kind of connected us uh, as peoples. I, I would say that having grown up as a, a Swedish-Irish kind of household myself, but uh, then, then, then probably was realized uh, in, in either capital. Um, you know, Mary Harney had this phrase about Ireland fitting somewhere between Boston and Berlin. And I've always thought, you know, it applies equally to Stockholm and San Francisco, if you like. Um, but but really over the last 10 to 15 years, I think uh, in a very concrete ways, we've been uh, moving closer and closer to, to Stockholm uh, on a great many levels. Yeah, and it's something, you know, I, I arrived just in Stockholm as the Swedish embassy in Dublin was closing. So it's a very happy thing now. Um, as I know you spoke with Ambassador Gormley about the fact that uh, Sweden is, is planning to reopen its embassy um, in the course of the next year. And as you've seen, Minister Coveney uh, was out in Stockholm during the week as well, meeting with the Swedish foreign minister and others. So, uh, yeah, the ties and connections between the country have probably never been stronger. How hard was it for you and for Alva to leave Sweden then? Because you know getting into this that, right, I'm going to be there for a set period of time. It might be two years, it might be three years. And then the call comes, they say, right, I think you moved. Was it Chicago straight after you were here? We were back to Dublin for a few years. Uh, typically, as diplomats, we, we tend to rotate sort of with the posting and then back to headquarters as I am now. Um, but after a couple of years in Dublin, we went out to Chicago and then I spent the last uh, four and a half years with, with Elva and the girls now, uh, Freya and Sive, uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Mm. So it was very hard at one level. Um, I mean, it's uh, you, you, you put down such roots in a place. We made so many brilliant friends, yourself included. Remember our, our last night in Stockholm uh, in, um, in Veerstrom's uh, Niall Balf and, and the team at Spuds and Sills and many at uh, Stockholm Gales and, and far beyond did a just a wonderful sort of um, farewell event for us and Niall spoke with such passion um, uh, and, and so warmly uh, I don't think we've ever been uh, as moved uh, uh, in our lives practically other than myself in, in leaving a place so you know there was a sadness in that but then the joy of the job is that you you go on you come back you're you're traveling kind of continually um, you make friends in, in, in different places and you carry them with you. And I know you've experienced that as a journalist and, and someone who's traveled widely yourself. Uh, and I think uh, we'll always have that sort of extremely strong bond with Stockholm and with the Irish community in, in Sweden writ large. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, there are practicalities as well. It was a bit easier when it was just Elva and myself, a little more challenging now. We're, we're dragging two little ones with us. But, uh, but even so, they have the same sort of experiences and, and get to... Uh, experience all the, the positives of of, uh, of seeing different places and, and, and meeting and connecting with different people. Are you expecting another call sort of in the day, in the next couple of years where you go, right, Ragnar, it's time to move again, Beijing, here we go. Is that, or is the expectation now that you'll be in Dublin for the foreseeable future? Well, I haven't been working on my Mandarin just yet, so I don't know, but um, <laughs> the, the truth is, uh, yeah, the, the, the expectation would be after a couple of years in Ireland that, that we would, you know, uh, pack up and, and go again. And it's a, it's a somewhat nomadic life uh, as a diplomat. You're, you're sort of always rooted and connected with home um, in a way that's maybe increasingly true for all immigrants, but, you know, wouldn't necessarily always have been the case. But our first focus is always on Ireland professionally. Uh, and our job is to tell Ireland's story, essentially, internationally, mm -hmm. And also then interpret the international story for for Irish audiences. Um, 
but yeah we're expected to to, to get up and go again and um yeah it's a great adventure you, you never know uh when the call comes uh, where it'll be so uh it lends a, an element of unpredictability and excitement to life certainly in terms of telling irish stories or the story of ireland one way that was drawn probably not to the liking of all irish people was through james joyce and his writing and in particular ulysses and we're just coming up to the time of the year where that book is very celebrated and i remember one of the things during your time here was that you were one of the people along with niall balf and other people involved in spuds and seal who made bloomsday much more of a thing what's your own relationship to that book why, why that specific sort of you know cultural artifact in particular well, I mean, there's a general story, I think, about Irish literature. And as I mentioned, my father came to Ireland to collect stories from, from mm. folk tellers. My mother was uh, and is a novelist and writer, uh, a short story writer. So I always grew up in a kind of literary household, I guess, where, where writing was particularly esteemed. But it genuinely is one of the, the great strengths Ireland has um, sort of internationally and, and points of recognition. And it's something that in Sweden and elsewhere, you know, the quality of Irish writers would be held in the very highest esteem. Um, while I was in Sweden, one of the things I enjoyed most and was proudest of was uh, organizing for, for eight Irish authors uh, to travel to Göteborg uh, for the uh, the book festival there. Book Mafsan, which you know is a, is a huge event. So I think the biggest annual cultural event in, in Scandinavia. Uh, and for that to have a particular focus on, on Irish writing. Um, and I remember also one of the, the, the great experiences I had uh, was to see Thomas Tranströmer uh, receive his Nobel Prize for literature um, from uh, from the Swedish King, um, and Tranströmer was was a close friend and and really uh, mentor uh, of, of Seamus Heaney, uh, another Nobel laureate. So those were sort of contemporary examples, if you like, of of how Irish writing kind of pervades and influences uh, internationally, but um, in Sweden, I suppose, uh, to a particular degree, and Ulysses. For me, uh, I mean, we're marking the centenary of its publication this year. So it was 100 years ago that it was published. It was written um, uh, just over 100 years ago. Um, you know, it famously, it ends with the, an orgasm um, of Molly Bloom. But uh, the last three words uh, of the novel aren't, you know, yes, I will, yes. Um, that famous soliloquy, but uh, Trieste, um, Zurich, Paris, uh, 1914 to 1921, because it was written in Europe and it's a quintessentially um, European novel, even if it's the most Dublin of Dublin novels. Like Joyce mm. um, said of it, I think that, um, uh, you know, if if Dublin were erased from the map one day, uh, he would hope that it could be built brick by brick from, from the text. Mm. Uh, while I was in Sweden, this is the edition, um, Albert Bonner's Verlag uh, produced a, a new uh, Swedish translation, the first in many decades uh, after it had gone out of copyright. So we had the chance to, to celebrate and mark that. Um, uh, but it was because it was such a absolutely universal text. I mean, it's it's a novel about uh, uh, the son of a Hungarian Jewish immigrant to, to Ireland and his wife, um, who herself is uh, the daughter of a, a Gibraltarian of Spanish heritage. So it's a sort of immigrant novel at one level mm -hmm. uh, at a time, as I said, maybe when immigration to Ireland was 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 not so high and it encompasses everything um, as a piece of literature and its meaning is so deep uh, I, I said I've been living and working in, in Washington DC the last four years uh, President Biden as you know speaks very often to his love of Irish writing and Irish poetry in particular 
but looking at his cabinet, uh, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary for Transport, uh, his father was one of the great Joycians in America. Um, he was married, in fact, on Bloomsday uh, to his husband, Chaston. Um, Beto O'Rourke, I mean, we've seen those horrific uh, killings in, in Texas. I know you've been um, very moved by them, as all of us have, and you'll have seen Beto's uh, fervent advocacy um, for, for increasing gun restrictions in America. But Beto's, two of his children, one is named Ulysses uh, and, and one Molly, uh, in honor of 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 Joyce uh, and his love uh, of the novel, so it's incredible and really amazed me continually how much it pervades and how much it interests uh, international audiences. Um, and I just had uh, the last four years the pleasure of serving with uh, Dan Mulhall, who's our ambassador in Washington D.C. You, you'll have come across him and, and heard him, uh, like you, uh, frequently contributing on RTE and and, uh, and other radio stations. Uh, and he's written a guide to, to Ulysses from his experience as a diplomat. But um, we held our, our first in-person event at the embassy uh, post-pandemic late last summer, or last summer, just for Bloomsday. Um, uh, it was a small occasion uh, to mark the sort of 99th uh, year since publication. But we had in the audience um, the uh, one of the Supreme Court justices, um, uh, who's just retired actually from the Supreme Court in the US. And I recall him actually crying uh, at some of the, with joy uh, and with just the positivity of his experience of hearing the words recited um, uh, and, and the sort of story told uh, again. And that was partly an experience of being back together post pandemic, but it also spoke, I think, to to what the text means uh, and, and how, widely, um, how widely it's traveled, if you like. How important is literature, books like Ulysses, the work of Joseph O'Connor, I think may have been over here during your time at the embassy as well and did a fantastic reading from Star of the Sea, I think it was. And um, how important is that in terms of telling Ireland's story? Because we often hear about, and we've had lovely people on this podcast from Enterprise Ireland and from Board Bia, and obviously, you know, business and commerce are things that, you know, we're always reminded we're a small island nation with an open economy, you know. But it would seem to me that, you know, what we have to offer culturally is at least a as powerful as anything we can offer commercially so how useful is it to be able to have days like bloomsday and works like ulysses in terms of telling ireland's story yeah hugely i think is is the answer from, from my perspective and yeah joe was over um colin tobin i mean one of the great pleasures i had as well in stockholm colin uh who's just an incredible writer uh, and like joe and i often say this again with a bit of bias given my mother is a writer herself but um, that you know, Irish writers are almost the, the nation's best ambassadors, uh, and that's with all due deference to uh, Ambassador Gormley and others. Um, but uh, Cullum, uh, he had been with Albert Bonius for log and translation, and uh, for whatever reason, his, his work um, went out of translation uh, while I was posted in Stockholm. I remember he visited, and one occasion we were able to introduce him to some brilliant people and friends out at Norstedt's, uh, uh, and they they took him on they hadn't realized his he was work was no longer being translated and he's since been published all of his work i think by, by north set since um so people like Cullum, people like joe um people like um uh, uh sally rooney i mean uh at present and going back people like my mom and um, i think have have always had a, a deep impact on how ireland was perceived across the world uh, and it's been you know almost unambiguously positive because our writers are so very brilliant uh, as writers, 
almost all of them in my experience are also incredible communicators and, and just great people. Uh, and they speak to what are sort of the best and most intrinsic Irish values. Um, people like Roddy Doyle, who, who you'll know, um, the work he does with, with fighting words. A lot of what I found always connected Ireland and Sweden most was sort of underlying commitment to you know, principles of liberal democracy, but you know, particular to kind of advocacy for human rights and engagement. And, and that's something all of our writers, I think, would, would be very strong in uh, articulating. Uh, and, and that was, you know, a special point of uh, engagement with, with audiences and people in Sweden. And I should go back just to on Joyce. Um, and I said, you, you mentioned Niall and, and Maura Heverin and others with Spuds and Seal and, uh, and being down in Ronell's Antiquariat for, for Bloomsday. We're probably especially good in Ireland, I think, at taking ownership of, of given days of the year. Um, you know, St. Patrick's Day, uh, I remember vividly you walking down the streets of Gamlestown in your bishop's hat uh, at, the, at the point of our St. Patrick's Day parade. And what a brilliant experience that always was in, in Stockholm. Um, you know, you have to experience St. Patrick's Day in the US. It's, it's, a, it's something else entirely, I guess. But... Along with that, we've increasingly highlighted the fact that Samhain or Halloween, you know, has mm. its origins in, in Celtic kind of pagan festival. Brian um, Burns was a major man behind that here. Brian Burns, a brilliant man for it. Absolutely. Um, and Bloomsday, Bloomsday is, yes, a celebration of a specific novel on a specific day. But as I said, Joyce is, Joyce is universal. I mean, he's the quintessentially the most Dublin of Dublin writers, but all of his great writing happened outside of Dublin. Uh, and I said, it's, it's, it's about everything. Um, and the book represents more than just a celebration of, of, of Dublin and, a, and of Irish literature even. I think it's a broader celebration of literature. So you see it celebrated. Um, it's celebrated as such. It's, it's almost a, a, an annual celebration of, of, of great writing. Um, which Joyce is maybe, you know, uh, modern father, perhaps, but uh, it's it's not exclusive to Ireland any more than St. Patrick's Day is. Uh, mm. It's it's owned by the world, if you like. Uh, you mentioned your mother and father, in particular, your mother's own history as a writer. I mean, your your love of literature is fairly obvious. Your love of Ulysses is fairly obvious. Have you ever felt like putting pen to paper yourself? Oh well, you you obviously don't subscribe to the the stinging fly. Phil. I've I've had a I've had a few uh, short stories published uh, back in my youth, uh, and it's uh, yeah, it's a special thing to see any work that you've written in print. Um, I've nothing like the diligence or perseverance of of my mom uh, writing. Like all kind of seemingly glamorous careers, I suppose is uh, is ninety nine percent sort of sweat. Uh, and acceptance of uh, rejection letter after rejection letter, if you like. I, but, I heard uh, a great description of it once, Ragnar, and it was, um, writing is really easy. You just sit at a keyboard until drops of blood start to form on your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of well, you know, Phil, you, 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 go through it every, you go through it every day uh, exactly. in sports journalism. And, and I know you've, you've bought brilliant books to print. Uh, Paris Far From Home uh, was published, I think, just as we were uh, soon after we arrived and and you know my sort of special love for Stockholm Gales and everything that you in particular um, and, and but many others as well uh, did to, to foster that community in, in Stockholm. This year actually uh, we I published a co-edited uh, a volume called All Strangers Here and um, it was a sort of pandemic project if you like of uh, a century of writing from our foreign service so um, diplomats uh, and the 
uh, family of diplomats who, who serve with them abroad um, across the Irish Foreign Ministry. And, and it collates, uh, I think, 30 or 40, uh, 35 or so uh, contributors, um, the likes of Van Boland, uh, was the daughter of uh, uh, um, our ambassador in London, um, Maura McEntee, uh, who's one of the great, the great perhaps poet of the Irish language of the last century. She was uh, one of the first Irish uh, female diplomats um, and, and posted to uh, uh, our um, embassy in Strasbourg, uh, where I'm most of my energies and time is focused now on the Council of Europe. Um, but many other absolutely brilliant uh, writers um, who served in, in our foreign ministry. And that goes back maybe to where we started and some of the connections between my current and profession of diplomacy and, um, and writing that, you know, part of the exercise of being a diplomat is, is being a storyteller of a type. Uh, and much of it is involved in, in shaping words, either on the, the page or, or, or orally. Um, so even if I haven't quite followed in my father or my mother's footsteps directly, there's probably an indirect way in which I have. Yeah. So, yeah. Where can people get hold of that book, Ragnar? All Strangers Here is the name of the book. And where can they order it from? Because I'm sure I'll be ordering one as soon as I put the phone down to here. Well, our first print run sold out. Uh, I think we, we, we'd we uh, underestimated demand, which uh, as an economist uh, by training was, was probably uh, a, a failing <laughs> on my part. But um I think there, there's probably some copies still available at the Museum of Literature Ireland. And certainly we hope to do uh, a second print run uh, later this year. Uh, and you'll find it at that point uh, on, on all good, 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 good bookstores. Anywhere that stocks uh, a Paris far from home will also stock uh, All Strangers. I wouldn't say there's too many of them left. It's now uh, the subtitle. Similarly, similarly, similarly popular. Victims exactly. of our success. So. It's the, the, the new title for it is Buy One, Get One Free. But if you can let us know for the podcast, if it does come out again in print and people can order, do let us know. I have one final question from you, for you, my friend. Will we ever see the name of Ambassador Ragnar Almqvist presenting his credentials to the King of Sweden in a different capacity? Well, one never knows. Um, certainly, as I said, it was a signal honour to have the opportunity to, to serve in Stockholm as a third secretary in any capacity. Um, and yeah, as I said earlier, the, the nature of the life of a diplomat is, is not to be able to plan too far ahead at any given point. So I know Austin and his team in Stockholm are doing an absolutely amazing job. They certainly um, are. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be some time yet before I'm heading out and posting again, and I doubt it'll be at that level. But um, uh, yeah, if it ever came to it and I had the opportunity, it would be uh, yeah, uh, a, a, a special privilege and joy, certainly, uh, and would be great to, to reconnect and see so many old friends again. Uh, just if you do if they do give you that posting just bring the boots because it's been very hard to find a decent goalkeeper ever since you left but for now Ragnar Alkris thank you so much for talking to me thanks a million Phil middle-aged cuckolded Jewish advertising salesman walks around Dublin for the day leches after club-footed girl at beach mm. goes to red light district <laughs> gets even more drunk meets young guy brings him home in the middle of the night, yeah. maybe tries to pimp out his wife to young guy. The end. Yeah. There you go, the great novelist Salman Rushdie there talking, uh, basically a 20-second summary of James Joyce's Ulysses. And it's weird, for a book that I've never actually managed to finish reading myself, how I just keep coming back to it on this podcast, I started reading it after I talked to Stephen Farron Lee last year. And I have it on uh, on an Android tablet, and I have numerous versions. One of those books, every time I see it for like, you know, 
10 crowns or 99 cents, I pick up a copy of it. So I've like been forward and dotted around the place and I've just never managed to get through the whole thing, right? So by the time this episode is published, it will be published on the 13th of June. So today, if you're listening on the day of publication, uh, the Irish Embassy is an, uh, organising an event at Scala Teotern at half past six this evening with Conor Habib. And Conor Habib is an Irish podcaster and writer uh, or Irish-American podcaster and writer, and he's going to be here talking about Ulysses and the book and what it means to him and kind of how to read it and that kind of thing. And then on June 16th, Bloomsday itself, Spuds and Seal, the Drama Society, uh, check them out on Facebook, just Google Spuds, S-P-U-D-S, and S-I-L-L for Sill. Uh, and you'll find the events that they're doing. Ronell's Antiquariot, which is a bookstore, a bookstore here in Stockholm, is going to be having events throughout the day there. But if you check out their, the Spuds and Silk Facebook page, or if you check out their website, you'll find out the kind of things that they're doing. And look up uh, Niall Balf, lovely man, very erudite and generous and genuine and well-read man, who tends to be at the forefront when it comes to organising these things. There'll be readings and there'll be costumes. I don't know if there'll be um, you know plates of kidney or whatever is, that is mentioned in the book, but um, yeah. And it's not it's not really, you know, that book. It could be any book. There's so many great Irish writers out there. Uh, one of the people I'm hoping to talk to on this podcast uh, very soon, there's my phone going off again, is Marion Keyes, who's extremely popular in Scandinavia. And she's spoken to me before for a thing I did called, uh, it's a sort of a pandemic TV thing that I was doing back on YouTube a while ago. But I want to get Marion again because she's hugely popular here in Scandinavia. And she's going to be here in July, as far as I know. Uh, so we'll see if we can get her on the podcast then. But, you know... There are, as Ragnar says, there's so many great Irish writers, so many great books out there. Grab them over the summer if you have a chance. Find them on your Kindle or on your e-reader or on Apple Books or whatever and just see what floats your boat. Um, the Dead, you know, Dubliners by James Joyce is a great selection of source, short stories and that was my way into realising what a great writer that Joyce is and then of course there is great music not just being made by Alan McCahey or by Brian O'Connor down there in New Shopping with Armadillo King, there's so much great stuff out there and somewhere I suppose a time when we maybe have a little bit more time in our hands to enjoy those things, right? One last question I have, just if you happen to own a business here in Sweden, right, I've made a whole thing about the Patreon and this kind of thing, you know but really for business owners and for people People working in consultancy and for people, you know, with big projects going on here, you know, the big data centers and that, right? What might be a small amount of money for you would actually be a huge amount of money in terms of keeping this podcast going. So when you're looking at your budgets for the second half of the year and that kind of thing, if you can contribute, I'll give you a shout out. But it's one of those things that this is for the community, right? If you can make a contribution as part of your corporate social responsibility, please do. Irishandsweetenpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on LinkedIn or that kind of thing because I love doing it. Again, we're an hour and 25 and a half minutes into this podcast I love doing it there's any amount of things that I could have included and I'm looking forward to another one next week but we can't keep doing it forever it has to wash its face as they say in the media business it has to be paid for by somebody so if you have a business and you can think of contributing the way the wonderful Martin Hesh and Veerstums does please do in the meantime we're getting towards that time of the year when you're out on the highways and byways maybe you have a long uh, drive to meet the in-laws and to spend some time in their summer house or out by the water uh, be careful especially in the water uh, be careful when you're driving out there look after yourself and look after one another and sure we'll have another podcast again next week with another doozy of a guest talking about a little bit of music but sure look after yourselves talk to you soon good luck